This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to another episode of the Wombles Had a Dream podcast. My name is Lee Finch, and as ever, I will be joined by the one and only Danny Baker. Uh, we have a very special guest, one I'm very excited to welcome onto the podcast, uh, ex-Wimbledon manager, academy manager, reserve manager, uh, and legend of Wimbledon, Terry Burton. We'll be speaking to him shortly. Uh, but first off, let me introduce Danny Baker. How are we, Danny? You good? Yeah, I'm really good, mate, actually. Yeah, it's been... Um... It's been a really interesting week being a being a Dons fan, as you know. Obviously, after the after Saturday, which was really really hard to sort of watch and take, and and particularly some of the reaction of the fans. Um, yeah, it's just it's just tough, isn't it? It's it's also just a weird experience. We've been watching women for God knows how long. I was trying to think of how many sort of dead rubber seasons we've had, and we've not had many at all, have we? Really? So to mm. have this point where it's kind of there's not a huge amount to play for there's kind of that every game doesn't quite have that urgency on it so it's been quite um yeah quite an interesting week talking to some of the guys at work or obviously don's fans and some of the kids but my am i am i buzzing for for today well done for getting um an absolute hero of mine on the on the pod and i can't wait mm-hmm. to sort of divulge in some of those of some of those stories and I'd love to know at some point whether he was actually a victim of the crazy gang spirit in some way, but I'm sure he will elaborate <laughs> and keep it clean. Yeah, I, I'm quite lucky. I missed the whole weekend of Wimbledon, obviously, because I was... Yeah, uh, you was away. How was it? You was, was in, what, in Italy, weren't you? I was in Italy, yeah. I went to see Atalanta versus Udinese on the Saturday. Uh, that was heavy boozing because you can drink around the ground and the Italian fans were brilliant. So we we drank a lot of beer. And then on Sunday, I went to the San Siro and went to a dream stadium of mine. 
the San Siro, uh, yeah, ticked off a bucket list. Eh? What a state. I recommend it to you. It closes now in 2027. I told the missus it closed in the summer, and that's why did. I had to get out there now before they knock it down. Did. We found out when we were out there, it doesn't close for another couple of years. And she's like, oh, yeah, you pulled that one, didn't you? You, you, you got out there now. But, well, yeah. I reckon, Lee, we need to ask our guests, where's the best place to watch football? What do you think? Is that a good starter for 10? I think we yeah, bringing to, as I said, we're, we're speaking to Terry Burton, Wimbledon legend, uh, hero of many, I know. Uh, Terry, how are we? How are you? You good? Yeah. I'm, I'm good thanks guys yep terry where's the best place come on you of all your experiences of all the ground you've seen where's the best place to watch football do you think well my best place is from a dugout okay really. um it, it was there's nothing quite like that feeling of being in a dugout um what is so special about it terry what is it about that dugout which is so different to everything else well you know it's the next best thing to play in really you're there you're you're part of of that 90 minutes or plus, uh, however long it, the match takes nowadays, but you're, you're there, you're a part of it. It's, it's, you still, so you're still really closely involved in the game. Um, so dugout, you know, and I've been to quite a few. I, I must admit, I still probably in my time as a coach, because obviously I, before my 14 years at, at Wimbledon, I, I spent a number of years at Arsenal. Um, and when I worked with Don Howe, we, 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 we were, you know, as it was first division back then. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Anfield always, always um, brought a tingle, really. Yeah. Just, just, just going to the ground, you know, arriving in the team coach. Um, that was sort of always a, a special place um, to, 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 to sort of watch football. But yeah, I've, 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 you know, I've been around Europe and watched some different games, but I still think the atmosphere... Um, in in our football in the UK in the in the leagues in England is still you know as good as it gets anywhere yeah, and, uh, you know the, the supporters that's what make it the supporters make it so it's it, um, it's always been special. No, I agree. I I say the only thing I've got with football stadiums nowadays is they're becoming like too commercialised. They're too worried about hospitality. It's like I said, we were in Italy and went to the San Siro and me and the lads we went with said it's a travesty. They're going to be knocking it down and building a, a Spurs or a Wembley, do you know what I mean? Because it's such an iconic, lovely football stadium where nowadays it's just the same bowl kind of stadium and it's too it's all new and hasn't got that feeling anymore, I think, with some some stadia nowadays. So yeah, the atmosphere. It's the atmosphere that, that, yep. that makes it, isn't it, when you go in, as you're right, it could be too sterile sometimes. Um, you know, a nice box with heated seats. And who wants that? You want to feel the cold and the wind oh, yeah, and the rain. rain. You don't, you don't want bother at hard time. Yeah. Yeah. So, Terry, how did, you, how did you get into coaching? Obviously, I've looked at your illustrious playing career um, on Wikipedia. Um, it's a lot more illustrious than I thought it would be. I've seen a few. But I'm just curious as to what, what of all the things when you stopped playing... What got you focused into into your coaching well, and why? It, it was um, circumstances, really, Dan. It was um, I was uh, I'd been at Arsenal since the age of twelve, and through to sort of just about nineteen, got released. Um, could have signed for a couple of I could have gone at Peterborough uh, at the time um, and signed there, but I was a London boy. I just yeah. got engaged, um, and I'd been an Arsenal supporter and. and an Arsenal fan and, and been there all my all my sort of youth really, um, and it, it it knocked me back as it does a lot of young kids when they get released. So I, I stopped. That was it. I stopped playing for a little while, and um, uh, I, I, and I still probably maybe it's just time. But I, I 
somebody had said to me about coaching. And um, that was, uh, so I went and did my prelim badge when I was sort of nearly 20, 19 and a half. Um, I met a guy there called Roger Thompson, who, who, who um, was one of the FA coaches, took me through the prelim badge, but also got me back playing. So he invited me back and I'd stopped playing completely. And um, so I went back and played uh, at Epping with him um, and loved it and got the player of the year and stuff like that. He went Go to on, Hayes. Hell. Player of the year. <laughs> yes. That's what happened. That's what happened sometime. And, uh, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so went, went to, uh, went to Hayes with him um, um, and really enjoyed that. But during that time I, was, I did my coaching badge and, and uh, then I sort of was working at every level. I was working at school in the schools. I was working evening institutes, taking like kids during, during the day, men during the evenings. Just loved it. Um, became player coach at Ilford quite early when I was about twenty-two, and um, and then got a real massive opportunity to go to Arsenal as um, coach the schoolboys. And I was I was sort of twenty-three, so I was player coach at Ilford at that age, coaching the schoolboys at, at Arsenal. And then, uh, you know, a man called Bertie Mee, who was manager there, he, he, oh, he invited yeah, he was me there, to manager. become full-time. And what was it like? I mean, I've been looking through, and you mentioned him earlier, Don Howe, who's got a huge link, obviously, with us in in 88. Yeah. From what I can see by the timeline, did you work with him at Arsenal and then Wimbledon, or was it Arsenal? And I'm just curious yeah, as to where yeah, that link yeah. is. It, it was Arsenal first. It was so... Again, I went, I went in full-time at Arsenal in about 77, 78, and um, did the youth team, worked the youth team, did the, did the reserve teams as they were back then. And uh, Don, Don was assistant manager working with Terry Neal. Terry Neal got the sack, Don got the job, and he, he, he moved me up with him for 18 months. So I had, uh, I had 18 months, fantastic months. He was phenomenal, Don Howe, wasn't he? He, he was exceptional. Yeah. Really, really exceptional coach. Um, so I was very fortunate in my early career. So I was still late twenties, sort of just turning thirty, and um, got the opportunity to work with him. Which, which, uh, it, what, was, yeah. what was he so good about, Terry? What was so good about Don Howe? Um, I, I think that he's one his knowledge. He knew yeah. the game inside out, but but his manner. He had a great manner. He just um, could could get players to. To, to react and and these coaching sessions were fantastic and I was fortunate I was young enough then to still join in quite a lot of them so um, which I which I did so it, it was just he had his great manner about him where he could be sort of um, really hard and and get at players but also they knew that he knew what he was talking about so they yeah. responded. What was the difference with then and now between coaches? Because a lot of there's not as many, say, English British coaches. Where back in your day, we there would have been loads. Joe Kinnear for me was a, a massive love. Joe Kinnear, massively. I know we're going to talk about you working with him. Uh, you said Don Revy. You had Don. Uh, Don sorry, not Don Revy. Don How. Don, Don Revy. You had Clough. Uh, what's the difference? That we've only really got. If you look at the Premier League now, you only got Eddie Howe uh, and uh, Dyche at Everton. There's not as many British and English coaches and. But back in the day, there was so many throughout the leagues. Ferguson, do you know what I mean? And, and, and as I said, Joe Kinnear. What's the difference then and now, do you believe? Opportunity, really. It's um, The game's changed, hasn't it? And the finances in the game have become far greater. So, you, you know, the opportunity for foreign coaches to come in. Um, and, I, you know, I think there is 
always been that little bit of perception. Even I'm, I remember when I was manager at Wimbledon, sort of, you know, early, my, my 2001, I think there was just that starting to come into the game, the, the yeah. foreign managers, and there was a, I suppose, disgruntled some of us uh, English coaches that, that a lot more were coming into game, opportunities become less. Um, and in fact, I did I did a after after game chat um, when we was at Sellhurst with with the press, and I pretended to do it in in uh, French. Um, <laughs> like Steve McLaren, yeah. Tony, Tony White was there at the time who spoke French, and he he was the press liaison guy, and he came in with me. So uh, bonjour, you know, it was sort of one of those. <laughs> so I was I've taken the Mickey, but um, just trying to get a point over really. So we were talking about your time at Arsenal, and then obviously you you, you moved to Wimbledon. You, you what? Where? How did that come about that you got? Because it was reserve team manager that you came in first yeah, off. Was that so correct? It, it was through Bobby Gould and Don Howe. So Bobby Bobby had been a player at the Arsenal when I was there as a as a youngster. All oh, right, I didn't know that. Yeah, Bob, Bob. So Bobby was there, so I knew him from that, uh, and really, you know, got on well and liked him. Don obviously had been my mentor anyway, and um. I'd got the sack at Arsenal by George Graham. Um, uh, never liked my, him. Never liked him. <laughs> yeah, it was my it was all it was my fault because I thought I was the golden boy and I bought all these players that had come through Arsenal. I mean, Man United talk about the you know their their 90, 91, 92 group, but we had a group at eighty one, eighty two at Arsenal that were, you know, Tony Adams, Martin Keown, David Rowcastle, David Thomas. Wow. Um, uh, Mickey Thomas, sorry, Martin. That's serious. Holmes, um, yeah. Just you could, you know, there were so many kids that come through that time and played first team football. So I sort of thought I was untouchable because I'd I'd worked with virtually all of them at some level. Um, but I, I, and I didn't really get on with George at the time. I, I got on really well with him when he was a player, and I got on with him since. But as, you know, it's tough, it's tough being a manager, and I didn't really uh, appreciate that at the time. So I wasn't the best uh, reserve team coach for him. So we parted company. A year later, um, Wimbledon won the FA Cup in '88, and that's when I came into the club. So you came in after the after the FA Cup final. Yeah, I, I came in just. I knew I was getting the job because Bobby had told me the January of that year. Look, in the summer that they applied to get into what was then the football combination. That's right. And uh, if they got in, yeah, they got in. So I I became the reserve team manager that year. And what was Bobby like, um, Terry? Because obviously that group is really interesting, and and we hear all about the all the all the vitriol of the FA Cup and the stories about you know taking them for haircuts in the, haircuts in the day and yeah. going for a pint the night before and stuff. How how important was Bobby Gould's attitude to the team? Because the team is obviously it's got its reputation. I'm just curious as to how important you think Bobby was in that, or was Bobby just a stalwart to what can be described as a, as a unique set of players? Well, I think you're right on both counts, really. They were a unique set of players. Um, I think where the club were either very lucky or, or Sam was very smart um, in getting Bobby in was that he Bobby wasn't going to change things. He wasn't going to go and look to, you know, create a new model of Wimbledon. He was going to play to the players' strengths. Um, and he was very, very clever and bringing Don in with him. So you had the, you had this one, this guy who had, a, you know, Bobby, Bobby was a great character, still is a good, great character. Yeah, lovely guy. Um, and, and, you know, a good football man. 
knew his football, had a great eye for a player. Um, but you had Don Howe, who was tactically probably a genius. So you, you had a great uh, two, two people that were both um, good football people where Bobby kept the mentality of the crazy game. He kept just, it going. I'm really fascinated, Terry. I don't, and forgive me for being honest, I don't know much about your sort of footballing philosophy, but it must be quite interesting. You've come from Arsenal, who I presume play quite a lot of get the ball down and play some good football, and then you've come to Wimbledon. How did that... How did that marry up with you? Because obviously you've got, it's not a rags to riches. And like I said, I'm never going to big up one or the other, but it's quite an interesting dynamic. You've come, you're going to come in from a, a totally different world to a football team who are less in terms of, you know, Brian Clough aren't playing football. How does that marry up with your head? And how do you kind of get your head around how to move forward with it? Yeah, I, I think you're, you, you, you're right. It was, it was uh, very different. I come from the marble halls. Yeah. And I came to the Porter Cabins at Plough Lane. You know, it was it was totally different. And um, I wasn't sure how to, you know, what to expect to start with. But the fact that Bobby Gould and Don Howe were there, you knew yeah. that this place had to be something special. So the football philosophy part of it, yeah. Bobby said to me, I want you to teach the players how to play football. Oh, right. OK, that's interesting. Um so I said, you don't want me to sort of follow on the, the theme of, and the, the, the philosophy of, the, of how the first thing. He said, no. He said, because evolution will take place and gradually that will change, you know. So um, he just said, teach him how to play football. So it was great, you know. I'm just trying to think back. You know, Sullivan was in there and, yeah. uh, and um, Dean Blackwell and, and John Gannon and uh, Ian Hazel, yeah, yeah. Sawyer and people like that that had all been around that that crazy gang group, but they came in and we, I think we, I think we finished third that season in the in the football com, which for our first season, and I, I think the, they enjoyed play in a different way. In fact, I think it was Laurie Sanchez that used to, you know, again a good football man, Laurie, but he'd go in and watch he watch some of the games, and he apparently Bobby told me when I knocked on Bobby's door one day, he said, "Look, what's going on here?" He said, they're playing football to the reserves. They're passing it and they're doing, they're not playing like we play. You know, yeah. he, he said, do you think that's right? So um, there was a little bit of worry that these players would, wouldn't be able to go and transfer from reserve team football into first team football and play the Wimbledon way, if you like. But they could, they, they'd been brought up on that. They knew how to play that. When, when it started evolving, and, and as you said, we started playing football and stuff, did did the club like yourself and, and, and the managers there, did they ever get annoyed with the press uh, and, and some of the stuff that was coming out of the press that we were just a long ball team? Do you know what I mean? We had players who couldn't play, like Vinnie Jones was just a, a, a man who would go out and beat people up. John Fashion was the same. But we had, when if you're a Wimbledon player, fan and you're, and you're obviously amongst it, you actually know that these players can play. And if you look, I'm not saying we were Liverpool of now, but Liverpool play, they try and get it into the third. They get players up the pitch quickly. Like Robinson's more of a, a left winger than a left back. Uh, and yeah, we got absolutely killed in the press a lot of the time. And people like Gary Lineker gave us stick. Did that ever annoy you in the background saying, well, actually, we're teaching these players how to play football. They actually can play it, but we're not getting the credit that we deserve. Yeah. And I think, I think over a period of time, you know, the, the, the club, I mean, they played to their strengths, don't get me wrong. You know, when Dave Bassett was there and it, it was probably you know, slightly more direct. And then Bobby and Don come in and just tinkered <laughs> with it to a degree um, and, and changed, changed some things about it, but not, not much because it was a successful formula. But then you gradually new players came in. Mm. And you think about the quality of the players that actually went from Wimbledon to other clubs. Yeah. 
you know, fantastic turnover of players. Now, those clubs wouldn't have taken those players unless they could play. So you're right, it was, it was a bit frustrating, but did it really matter to us? No, not really. You know, I think the players got other clubs appreciated what they could do. I'm just curious, Terry, obviously, Heysel came and, and obviously we couldn't play European football. From your angle, if you were obviously at the club, how do you think Wimbledon would have been received by the European football community? Do you think we would have we, we'd have done all right? We'd have ruffled a few feathers? Or do you feel like, do you know what, the, the, the game on, on the continent might have, might have swallowed us up a bit? I'm just curious as to where you, where you think we might have sat around that time. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Wimbledon would have done fantastically well because, you, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. There was never any fear about where they went to play. You know, they the opposition normally had a bit of fear about them coming. <laughs> and I think that would have been the same in Europe. It would have, you know, I don't think anybody would have sort of uh, been looking forward to Wimbledon going and playing there. It, just just out of reputation as much as anything else. The thought of Vinnie Jones and John Fashion who going down the Champs Elysees with a ghetto blaster is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can yeah, imagine yeah, all can those imagine, boys in Monaco by the casinos looking smart. That <laughs> fit, it's sort of I could just see them walking down the road, cutting people's ties, and and they would have like loved it. doing it as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, Terry, we had Andy Bazell on, who's a European football expert, big Wimbledon fan as well. He works for Talk Sport, and uh, we I said to Danny and him, I said I think we would have shook a lot of teams up. I think we would have gone to the San Siro over a big ghetto blaster, and I think other teams, these the, the Italian teams, the Spanish teams, would have looked and gone. Bloody hell, who are these? We're going to walk over them. And then they would have got a bit of a shock. And I think we'd have done all right in Europe with some of the players. And the fact that we were mixing up the football that we could play as well. Yeah, because I think it was that year, wasn't it, when we finished sixth, that we would have yeah. been mm. entitled to go into it um, had it not been for, um, you know, the disasters that happened. So Yeah, but don't worry, though. We had we had our Intertoto Cup expedition <laughs> <laughs> down at the Goldstone. We remember that very well. We We did, yes, yeah. Um, I was just going to ask Terry about the whole crazy gang identity. Um, a lot of the things when I was younger and dad was like, you know, my dad was like, you can pick your wife, you can pick your mates, but we, we support Wimbledon and we're going now. And I remember going in, along the road and him telling me about Wimbledon and going with my brother. I went in the, I think I started going 87. Um, so I'm only just, I only, only just 21 now. Um, but I'm just curious as to whether you think that the crazy gang identity, do you think it, it, it added to us as a club and did you as a management was it something that we were happy to keep or were we trying to get away from that at, as you went on through the years obviously by the time we got to the end the crazy gang kind of culture it almost became the circus of the Egg Olsen circus to, to a point at the end did we try and get rid of that kind of culture or was it always something like do you know what this is part of our DNA we're going to run with it. We'll play along with it, and we'll sort of slowly evolve the footballing aspect of it. Yeah, it's it's more the latter part of it. I think that you, you know, big, and it was the evolution. Players players came in that were were different. Um, yeah. You know, when you when you think of the you know Terry Feelings and John Scowls and Keith Curls and Robbie Earls and Warren Bartons, Dean Oldsworths, you know, who had joined, who came in, uh, probably outside that era of the yeah. crazy gang but 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 fitted in fantastically yeah. well and and I think they they appreciated what had happened beforehand and the strength and the camaraderie um but also had different technical abilities that, that yeah. were probably different from those other players so gradual evolution was of, of the players who, who would play and probably the you know the the biggest mistake was the the uh, Egger Olsen era yeah. of trying to change everything and to say, well, 
we want to be different now. Well, you can't be different overnight. And, and that was where the mistake probably happened. Terry, so you were reserve team manager for, and then you become academy manager before coming Joe as assistant. That's correct, yeah? yeah? So how long was you, if people didn't know, how long was you uh, academy manager for? Um, so I was there 88. I think we had, I had about sort of 18 months doing the the, um, the the reserve team. And Bobby Bobby again said to me, look, he said, and Wimbledon had, had created quite a lot of their own ground players anyway. But mm. he, he just said, look, we want to try and produce more. We want to try and get more through. So would you have a look at it and try and revamp it? And that, you know. Was that appealing to you, Terry? Yeah, because it could easily be seen as a step back, but it's not really. Not no, because youth development for me had been what I'd, I'd always loved. You know, that yeah. was a big part of my time at Arsenal. Um, Howard Wilkinson had just started this this the the um, new the new academy set up, etc. So there was a lot going on at that level, and um, I, yeah, I loved it. You know, and we had a. a we had a really good team of people there. Ernie Tippett, who was youth team coach yeah, in my time there, and Roger Smith, who was the, yep. who was the recruitment guy, um, and some other really good top people around that. And and it, it was just a great place to work. And we had a good group of young players, but we really punched above our weight. You know, we started to get development centres uh, in other parts of London. So the Joby McEnoughs and the Patrick Adjamans and the Lionel, yeah. Lionel Morgans all came from North London. <clears throat> yep. You know, whereas a lot of other, it was only the big clubs that were actually doing that at the time, but we had this vision that we could actually get pockets around London and then bring the kids into, into this Wimbledon um, culture, uh, which, which, we, which we did quite successfully. I was going to say one of the big success, successful things for me is our youth because when I started watching Wimbledon, we we had the John Fashions and stuff like that, but we also had then the as you said, Dean Blackwell's, the Chris Perry's, uh, Neil Sullivan's coming Jason through, Yule, Cole Jason Cole. Yule, Cole yeah. Cole. Yeah. and then we had and then it's one thing that we've now started doing at ASC Wimbledon where we have got some good youth team. We've sold a sow and got, and that's one good thing that I like that. I look at women and I see an AFC women that we're doing really well at. What would you, who would you say if you could pick one? That's my best, next question was that. Was yeah, the best Because you mentioned one there that I think would have gone on and been an absolute star is Lionel Morgan. Unfortunately, we obviously know he suffered with uh, bad injury, but when he came on against Liverpool and absolutely destroyed that Liverpool team that time in about 20 yeah. minutes, but well, I just thought, wow, this player, this geezer is unreal. Who would you say that? I know because you, there's so many you could pick. But for me, who would it be that you'd say, right, that's one I'm really proud that we got through and he'd done well? Yeah, I, I think coming when my first period at the, at the, at the club with the youth self was um, two, two players, really, Chris Perry and Neil Ardley. Yeah. Um, now, Chris Perry, because he was, he played with the position he played centre back, he was built like a fag paper. Looks like a knickknack, yeah. He couldn't, he, he couldn't sprint, he couldn't do long distance. But this kid just had a great understanding of the game, and anybody that that trained with him and all that, he was like a rash. He could. He was unbelievable, Terry. Watching him, honestly, he, he, we were just talking the other day, and I was like, I don't, I still don't really know why he never really got an England gig. I was just when he was at Wimbledon, say, he was so good. I was just about yeah. to say the two. Whether of he them. couldn't pass well enough, I don't know. 
Chris but Perry, my and God, he was brilliant. I think that Chris would Perry... be one of the qualities that he probably, yeah. you know, you couldn't sort of say was a great passer, but he, he, he was efficient. He could get it from A to B, but he's defend, defending, and that's what his job was, and that's what he loved doing. You couldn't get a shot away. You couldn't win a header against him. I remember when we played Everton once, and um, Duncan Ferguson played up front. I remember that, yeah. And our two centre-backs were Chris Perry and Brian McAllister. Mm, Chris Brian Perry McAllister. was like five foot nine, and Brian McAllister probably about five, ten, eleven. But Ferguson couldn't win a header. They keep working and they keep pushing him up, dropping off. He, he, and he didn't know whether to stick or twist Ferguson. He, and these, these two, and they'd mark him in the box. They'd grab him, they'd hold him, make sure he couldn't get a free header. They were just so intelligent. And, and, and that was what people didn't appreciate about that group of players, you know, from the Andy Thorns, mm. people like that. So intelligent, the defender, you know, Wally Downs really, really good, intelligent defenders that knew the job and, and could stop people playing. And the kids that followed on after that, like the, the McAllisters and the Chris Perrys as defenders, did exactly, Dean Blackwells did exactly the same. They were excellent defenders. So I would say Chris Perry defensively, I think Neil Wardley as a creative player. Uh, again, you look at Neil Wardley, not didn't have blistering pace playing as a wide player, but had right. fantastic cross, delivery. Couldn't he? Crikey. Great delivery, good understanding of the game, good work ethic. So he, he had a lot of the good qualities that would be relevant today, even, you know, because he could, he could still play with, with the, his knowledge of the game. So he had a great knowledge of the game. So that period, those two. And then you mentioned one uh, a while ago called um, Lionel Morgan. Again, How good was he, Terry? You know, I can, I can, we were away at Millwall and somebody got injured in about the first 15 minutes. So Lionel was on the bench, said, Lionel, come on. In. And he'd been playing as a wide player normally. So he was yeah. 17. Um, come on. He, he played centre of the park away at Millwall and he just grew. You could just see this figure. He just, he, you know, he was a nice size, but he went on the pitch. He looked about seven foot tall and he controlled the game again. He played centre of the park. He won tackles, he got the ball, he brought people into the game. Um, I think he would have been an exceptional, yeah. exceptional player. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think he would have been, yeah, gone to really big thing. I feel sorry for Neil Ardley as well for playing for England because if you look at that right side that England had at the time that Neil Ardley came through, you had the Beckhams and things yeah. like that. So I think he was, yeah, he, he possibly should have got an England cap. But when you look again with Chris Perry and you look at the players he had to come back across, we had a really good lot of centre-backs at England as well. Terry, with the difference, as you said now, football's evolved so much uh, and, and you look at youth teams now, like Chelsea have got like 250 kids in their academy where when we were Wimbledon FC, as you said, we went up to North London and stuff like that. We used to take the boys that have been released. That doesn't really happen nowadays because there's not they don't they're not getting released until they're late on. Do you think that was a big thing that we had that say Palace would release a player and we'd go look come for Wimbledon? You're gonna we have this pathway into the first team, and that's why we got so many come through. Yeah, I think I think there was the pathway. I think there was a, there was still this. Um, the, the creating of, of, of Wimbledon, they still had a mentality there that, that pl when players came in, they quickly adjusted or they, they you know, they, or they either went back out again. The, the you know, we, we, we weren't given enough credit for how successful that academy was, really. Yeah. And, and the amount of players that we, the, the youth team and the youth setup produced through to the first team. Um, I think even in my two years as manager, there was like, 
I think it was something like 14 players got their debuts. Now, they weren't all gone on to be established household names, but they got an opportunity. So the point you made about a pathway is is vitally important. And it's, you know, it's still today. You look at clubs and you go, good pathway, bad pathway. Yeah. <laughs> so you're looking at those clubs now with academies and you're thinking, why would you send your kid there to to play because he won't play. He won't never play for their yeah. first time. I think, that's, problem in the game. I think that's the point as well. You, we didn't get enough credit and it's not just the, the players that ended up playing for Wimbledon. There was a lot of players that would off would go off and they end up playing good professional careers at other clubs. I think, who is it? Lenny, uh, what's his, the two brothers, Lenny, Lenny Piper. Lenny Piper. He, he was one of having, my favourites when I was younger. He, he, he ended up having yeah. a decent career, played a decent level at non-league as well. He ended up coming up against us when we were AFC Wimbledon, I think, for Fisher Athletic called Dulwich, I think, at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's... But there was, you know, a group of, of young players who came in <clears throat> at, at debuts, even people like Rob Gear, Peter Rob Hawkins, yeah. um, yep. you know, come in and, and played, and Surawusa, unfortunately, <clears throat> who died yeah. not so yeah. long ago, um, that got games in that first team. Um, and many others, you know, that, that played in there but weren't household names, but they got an opportunity to play at our club. It always blew my mind a bit with some players because, as Danny said, with the crazy gang spirit, and you said they either sank or swim, but then you'd mentioned Rob Gear, Peter Hawkins, but they were the nicest people. I, I met them a couple of times. They they signed my shirts and stuff when I was, and you think, how are they playing in a crazy gang, like getting their suits burnt? But when you meet like Chris Perry, Chris Perry is one of the nicest people you could have ever spoke to or meet very intelligent man. But once they go on the football pitch, I'm guessing the mentality just changed and that was just drummed into them. Yeah, they were, you know, Jason, you and Carl Court, you know, they were never, you know, weren't going to be troublemakers, but they could, they, they could come in and be part of it in their own way with their own mm. personality, you know? Um, and yeah, yeah, you're right. These, these, these kids would, would come in. And I think they all appreciated what was going on. And they took a lot of the good bits from it. Yeah. You know, I can remember the Stanley Reid, God bless yeah. him, he was a fantastic character and a massive part of, of that club and the mentality. You know, in the Richardson Evans, in those old change rooms would come in at the end of every youth game and go, come on in, boys, here we go. <laughs> Let's all sing. And it would be la di da di da And the kids loved that. It created something different, which a lot of other clubs didn't have. I'm just curious, Terry. In terms of we've 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 basically racked off a whole host of unbelievable football players who could have quite easily done potentially got close to international recognition. Do you feel a lot of the players who went who left Wimbledon left because of the the, the need to sell, or do you feel that a lot of players thought, you know what, I'm never going to get a call up for England because it just looked ridiculous the amount of times. Warren Barton never got a look in an England Wimbledon. He left within a week. He was on, he was in England squad when he was at Newcastle. <laughs> you can say the same about John Scales. There was a whole host of Neil. I mean, luckily we had Neil Sullivan. Obviously, was doing Scotland, but it just came to me that it looked like it was almost a closed shop. Did it feel like that to the players? And did it have an impact on retention or not really? I, I think there was a stigma, wasn't there, around that? That oh, they're Wimbledon. They only play a certain way. You know, we've talked about yeah. it. Um, and unfortunately, it, 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 yeah, I think there was a lot of that, you know, that, that oh, they couldn't possibly be England material. But, you know, all the top clubs wanted to actually bring these players to their clubs. So it, I think the clubs, there's a, there's a shelf life. They, 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 they love the time at the club. But like all, all people, you know, they want to be the best they can be. And, you know, it was a move to the next level, which would help them to be achieve either financially what yeah. they wanted to get or 
or international recognition. So I just wanted to talk, we're obviously going like, like a, a timeline. I wanted to, to touch on a, a different subject in terms of the start of the rumours around the club moving. Um, and obviously we, you had, oh, I, remember, I remember one of the headlines about linking us with QPR. It was like Quimbledon and they had, the, we're going to go to Wales, we're going to go to Norway, we're going to go to Ireland. Mm. I mean, how did that, how, how did that go down with the group? And at what point did it kind of feel like, okay, hold on a minute, this, this might have the point that the, the thought of a relocation might have a little bit of legs in it. Is there any kind of point you thought, hold on a minute, this actually has got something in it? I think the first one was the Dublin one. Yeah. Um, when Sam, you know, had this idea of going to Dublin. And I think all the players thought they were going to be tax exiles. So they, they <laughs> sort of weren't. Totally did, did, did he speak to you about it, Terry? Did he say, Terry, we're thinking of going to Dublin? What, what are you thinking? Or. Yeah. Well, not really, because, you know, I don't think we would have had a say in it. I think it was a purely financial aspect. It wasn't from a football point of view. Yeah. But, you know, some of the points that were put over were quite valid. You know, yep. look, we could go there, we'll be the a Premier League team in, in Dublin, we'll get X amount of thousand supporters. Our supporters, you know, we'll make sure we can get them over. So Sam sort of tried to have a plan um, of, of how that might work. But so there was a lot of, there was talk around that one. And that was the one that, you know, seemed, oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, when once Sam left, there was the the obvious that the QPR. Talk. Yeah. yeah. How um, how viable was that a real a real option on the table or was it kind of a throwaway? I don't know really. We, you know, a lot of it was you, you got the mushroom treatment. Really, you were yeah. put in the cupboard and kept in the dark and you know fed a lot of crap. But um, yeah, fair enough. It it um it, you know the, the 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 Milton Keynes thing was. You know, it was an obvious thing that they were intent on happening. And yep. there was more meetings that went on about that. Um, and that was when you started to think, you know, this could happen. I, I personally never thought it would happen because I yeah. thought, how could anybody allow, how could the FA allow that to happen and, yeah. and allow a team to be moved out of their conurbation area into, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Um, but at the time, there was lots of conversations going on, lots of meetings um, with Pete Winkleman up there. So, and in my second season there, it became more of a reality. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's when, you know, listen, the rift had started, you know. Of course, absolutely, of, yeah. But, um, the, the rift between myself and the owners and the, the so-called um, chief executives who were running the club at the time, Um and how were the players feeling, Terry? And uh, sorry, Lee, I'm just going to cut you for a sec. How did so? How in terms of the? I'm just and again, I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to do anything difficult. I'm just just curious. So they're getting an idea that they're being relocated. I guess for the players, it's not hugely important because players move all the time. I get, but is there kind of a growing theme like, okay, hold on, we might actually need to. We're at Wimbledon, but we're going to be moving here, and there's things that need to be moving. Um, is it quite? Um, was it quite an interesting? It, was it quite a difficult one for the players or was it a case of, do you know what, we're going to keep our head down, business as usual, and we'll get on with it? To be truthful, Dan, I can't really remember a conversation the players having about it. Um, maybe they did themselves because there was still this, it, was, it wasn't a reality. It was yeah. like, this is something that, that people, you know, as you say, there have been lots of conversations about <clears throat> Wimbledon going somewhere in the past. Uh, it, it, and, and would happen again maybe at some time, but never it never happened. So I think the players thought, look, this is just 
background noise and you know it's never going to happen so i don't think they took it too seriously so is it because we kind of skipped so we'll come back yeah, to your career yeah i kind of was talking about Don't, before of Egil, yeah. but i'll come back to we'll that, come yeah. back to joe yeah. and Egil in a minute but as we're discussing i've uh, we've heard rumors that did it cost you your job that you you went to him and said you weren't overly happy with the move that was going to happen obviously we've been relegated and you weren't happy and you voiced your concerns about the move to Milton Keynes and it kind of cost you a job and then they brought in Stuart Murdoch who then went to Milton Keynes with Wimbledon and and ruined every reputation. Wasn't he the goalkeeping yeah. lad, Stuart Moore? He was a goalkeeping yeah, coach. I remember yeah, goalkeeping yeah. coach, yeah. He sat yeah. with us at Southampton when we just got relegated. He was in the bar with us. And, oh, yeah. wow. Shame. There's, um, there's a lot of things that that um, went on during the ownership, the new ownership, the Norwegians, um, and the uh, chairman there, Charles Koppel, and his sidekick, can't remember his name. But um, no. there was Best a lot not to remember that. that. <laughs> there's a lot of things that went on that, that I didn't like that weren't really they weren't football people you know they, they just weren't football people they didn't understand it and um, it, and then there was the, the big the big issues really were the one going to Milton Keynes which yeah. and, and I, I during that year um, probably that second that year when I got the sack I, I had a burst appendix um and I was in hospital and I don't know whether it was the drugs or whatever, but I, I was formulating this plan that when I went out to, to try to go to the owners and convince them that we had to get rid of Koppel, we had to get him out and we had to go back to the supporters and we had to, because they were the only ones that were going to, you know, keep us wherever we were and formulate a plan with the supporters, get them on side. Because yeah. as you know, that, that last year, the, the the atmosphere was toxic. Yeah, yeah, horrendous. Yeah, and um, it was it was a you know it wasn't it wasn't the best atmosphere to play in home games. If you looked at our away form that second year, you know we beat Man City. I think it was, I was there four nil. Yeah, four two nil. Shipley, two Connolly. Yeah, yeah, mm. and and you know we just we had loads and great results away from home, but at home we, we just Should beat Wolves at Molyneux as well. I think. Yeah, beat Wolves. Yeah, yeah. So, we, good, yeah. You know we were excellent away from home, but. So that, that did have a, so I was in this hospital bed, probably delirious from the drugs or something, but formulating this plan that when I went out, I was going to go and see the owners, got to get rid of Koppel, get him out, he's toxic, the supporters will never have him, change the way that we're talking about the club. Um, and I had one brief conversation with the owners, but it was obvious that that was never going to happen. And... Um, yeah, I knew my days were sort of numbered, really. Because I'm glad you mentioned Norwich. I've always wondered if they look back now and they, I know they, they kicked themselves looking at how football has gone. Because when they came in, we were probably one of the richest clubs in the Premier League at that time. Because the man, I think they spent thirty million on a racing boat that they crashed. And I was thinking these guys are like we bought John Artson for seven and a half million and stuff like that. And I was thinking, do they actually regret? what they'd done and think, well, actually, if we had gone and got the ground in plough lane now, and I'm glad we did, I I'm, I'm love AFC women and everything about it, but I do think sometimes they think with all these billionaire owners and the money they had, do they actually think, oh, I wish we, I wish we had done, you know what I mean, put a bit more money and effort into it and not yeah, being sold? Yeah, because, you know, when I when I got the job in that summer of 2000, um, their, 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 their brochure was different. You know, they, they wanted to... Um, build a stadium somewhere in Merton. 
They wanted to do what we're doing, produce our own players. They wanted them to build the club, et cetera, et cetera. So they had this, they talked a good game at the time, but mm. unfortunately, um, as it went on, you could, you, it just, you realise that was, they lost, I think they lost, whether they lost a bit of interest, but they, they certainly gave too much to control to Charles Clark. So before I, I, I'm really fascinated with Edgar Olsen and I thought at the time he'd be a great appointment, but I've just got to ask you, Terry, and I'll be really honest. You've, you, we had Bobby Gould, we had um, Ray Harford, Peter Wiv, Joe Kinnear, Edgar Olsen, and then you. You was really loyal for a long old time. Was there any, did you apply before the time that you were given the job? Did you ever apply for one of the Wimbledon jobs before? I'm just curious because you know, you know, you're an absolute legend for us, and you've got your whole career. You've been, you're obviously a fantastic coach, but the the, the, the opportunities to manage have been quite limited. What? Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I think in the era of, yeah. of you know those managers, if you like, take Egil Olsen out of that. You know, yeah. Mitch and Bobby Gould have been a a, a top player. Yeah, Joe Kinnear had been a top player. Ray Harford had been a good player. Yeah. So they, it, it, it was until Mourinho came in, you were probably you'd had to have been had you know two hundred and fifty games under your belt, three hundred games at the top level to get a manager's job. You know. Yeah. Nowadays it's entirely different. You know, it's probably the opposite. Um, so, and I loved what I was doing. You know, I was happy. I was, well, I did was, you have ambitions to be a manager somewhere, Terry? I'd never, never really. I, I, I did to a degree, but not, yeah. it, it, not something that I was going to, you know, which I did in my later career, move yeah. different parts of the country. You know, I was a London boy. All my, all my jobs have been around London. Um, and that was where I, that was where I was going to stay. And I was, I was happy at Wimbledon and, um, you know, I loved it. It was, it was a great, it was a great time to be there, you know, so, some some great moments um so i was i was quite happy i was i was i was happy doing the academy you know loved it um and it, it, i i did i didn't even at that time you know i, I only came back you know, i was academy manager when egel olsen got the sack and or even before egel olsen got the sack i was still academy manager and and then i got asked by the owners to come in and help him and and um Lars, his assistant, and Mickey Arford, who was still working there, to come in and work with them. Um, for But that was like, you know, I think it was the week before we went away and played at Bradford. But, um, and to be fair, I was, I had plans. I was going off into, I was going off to uh, Israel at the time to see a UEFA tournament um, to look at players. So, oh, wow. really and truly, I, you know, it was only the fact that, Really, do I have to? Do you, you should. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> you twist my arm. My own job. I've got my own job to do here. But the club were in free fall. You know, I think we'd lost. Yeah, horrendous. Yeah. The Bradford um, game was a killer, wasn't it? I was, yeah, uh, it? If I could help, I wanted to help. You know, obviously. So before we move on to Eagle and and, and Bradford and stuff, because there's a couple of questions around Bradford, we we probably want yeah. both me and Danny want to ask. Let's talk about Joe Kinnear because you came in as an assistant manager under Joe. What was what was Joe like? Because Joe's my favourite ever. Wimbledon manager, even the AFC Wimbledon. I loved joking here. I loved the passion. Uh, he was a perfect match, wasn't he? Gutted for him when he went to Newcastle because I think he would have done stuff there if he hadn't got ill. And he was just brilliant. Yeah, he was a Wimbledon man and everything that Wimbledon wanted was joking here, really. Joe was a, I mean, he's, he's a character, fantastic character because I, I was there and Joe, he, he, he did the, the reserves 
and I was doing the youth team and and Joe to his own admission was not what you'd call a coach so he, he Joe was a fantastic I thought uh, man manager unbelievable man manager um, and it, it, but doing the reserve team you got to, got to work with the players and that wasn't Joe didn't really want really want to do it he wanted to be a manager and um, you know we so I was youth team coach he was he was reserved in coach and for quite a period of time, I'd pick him up on the way through and drive him in and stuff. Cause he'd been, a, been a, uh, away somewhere. Um, and I remember the days we got a phone call from Sam, you know, to say that he was changing. Um, I think it was, was it Withy that had been there? I think it was Peter with, yeah. um, that he was letting him go. And so we went to Sam's house on the Sunday morning and Sam said, look, you know, I want you both to look, take the team and Joe's manager, you'll be his assistant. And that was it. That was it. We started and we off we went, you know. Um, Did your philosophies match much, Terry? Did you kind of, were you quite chalk and cheese or were you quite, <clears throat> I mean, obviously he's a manager. Did he kind of go, Terry, you go and coach him and I'll manage the players. What was your kind of, your rapport between the two of you? Yeah, it was pretty much that, that you know, Joe, Joe knew what the club was about. I mean, he was, he was really bright in terms of... Um, what players reacted to and responded to. And he had great lines, Joe. He could put them down and he could talk about his career, you know, FA Cup medals and international caps and stuff like that, which suited the players, you know. So he had that element to him. But on probably Monday to Friday, he'd just say to me, go and, you know. And and, and there there wasn't, you know, if you'd have said to me, would would this work? And I, I remember the morning... You know, when it happened and I said to my wife, I'm not sure about this, you know, I'm not sure that this is really going to work, you know, Um, but I'd give it a go. And we did. And we, we did, we, we, we got on all right. You know, we were, we were reasonable, not buddy buddies, but good, 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 good. I think we appreciated each other. Yeah. We knew what we were about. And, um, uh, you know, Joe was a fantastic character. And I think you mentioned it there, was ideal for Wimbledon. Yeah, it's great married, married, great marriage. You yeah. guys as a partnership look great from when we were watching it. It kind of seemed exactly what you said was kind of what we as fans were looking at. It just seemed to be like almost like you were the you were the brains of the operation tactically and he would come in and do the do the press and do the bravado and the three points in the pocket as he's walking off. It just seemed to be yeah, such real, a like real real home, no? It was, was such a was, great one. He was, you know, I've not really come up to too many characters like him um, before and or since, really, because Joe, he was special, really special in in the way that he managed those mm. players. Um, and and probably at another club, it wouldn't have worked as well, but at Wimbledon, it worked yeah. because mm. they, 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 they loved him as well, to be truthful. They loved him. So, unfortunately, Joe gets ill and then we yeah. get... Eagle Olsen in charge and what was your first feeling with Eagle because me and Danny we mentioned it last week on we the podcast we were well excited we were because he said he'd, he'd, there's only two clubs or two teams he'd managed which was one was Brazil and the next was uh, Wimbledon and and if you look at Eagle Olsen now and you look at some of the footballers played he was probably before his time the zonal marking and stuff and to be fair to him he brought in some Norwegian players who were really really good only, them, only 400 of them yeah some of them were, were, were not very good but what did you think when he first came? Did you meet him and go through stuff with him, or because his wellies and stuff my, like my that? First, just this is my first. Um, so, you know, Eggles, Eggles coming in, but I haven't got there yet. It was summer, 
it was that summer and um, everyone else was sort of gone and the the pitches at Richardson Evans were poor in the best of times, but we'd had a really hot summer or something like that. So I've, I've gone out close about a week before we're due back pre-season and, and looked at the pitches and they were awful. <laughs> so um, apparently anyway, Sam's come down in the afternoon along with Edgar Olsen. They've looked at the pitch and I've, then Sam's phoned me. What the fuck? You know what's going on, baby? Look at these pitches. They're useless. They're awful. They're this, that, that, and that. So I said, Sam, I told you this like weeks ago about these pitches that they're not fit for purpose. I'm also I not said, a groundsman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not in charge of this club. I said, I'm, I'm the academy manager. I said, so you know that's somebody else's job, not mine. So Eggle, but Eggle come in, and, and I thought I thought he would do well. Same as you guys, because he's the the way that he wanted to play. Yep, was very similar. You know, hundred percent. And. But what he didn't have was he he didn't have um, he didn't didn't have the character that was needed really for that group of players because as much as you could style a play it was also about that that empathy with that group of players about what yeah. they were about and and you you could get more out of them um, with a, a, a character like Joe than you could with someone like Egel. Um, but the early early signs were decent, you know. Yeah, one free two at Watford, didn't we? First game of the season was it yeah, three two we won? Yeah. I think it was. And the preseason friendlies I watched, and I thought, oh, this is okay. He'll do all right. But of course, he didn't have that Monday. He didn't have that sort of Monday to Friday mentality about how to get the best out of the players, um, either in training or or how to make them react um, on a Saturday in terms of their attitude and spirit. And they lost that. That's what they lost, really. They lost the attitude and spirit, which um, had won them probably more games than their technical or tactical ability. Do you, do you think it's to do with uh, some of the players as well, some of their attitudes towards him, that, that with the stuff in the press, with the wellies and the stuff like that, that got more attention than, say, his managerial career or what he could do? And some of the players didn't really buy into it. Then that way, they then kind of didn't have any respect for him because there was rumours going around that some of the players would finish training, go straight down the pub, eat what they want, drink what they want, and just didn't really... He didn't really... Where Wenger came in, all the Arsenal players got on board with it straight away and they were like, right, this is the... Men-, and he changed the whole club. With Wimbledon, it was like, no, we're still the crazy gang. It don't matter what you're going to do. Yeah, I think there was there was loads of that, really, Lee, that... that... You know the the boys wanted they they wanted a leader, they wanted motivation. But Eggle, I remember Eggle saying, oh, "It's not my job to motivate them." You know? <laughs> um, and so the the change was was too brutal. From yeah. Joe to Eggle was too brutal. You know, if there had been a couple of stages in between, maybe it would have maybe it wouldn't have been as as uh, such a disaster. But it 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 was a disaster. I mean, there was a couple of, I don't know where, where, when you started getting the red flags popped up, but there were two big, not, not big games. And I'm talking actually quite early in the rain when I got really worried. One was Sheffield Wednesday away. We lost 5-1. Five, 5-1, one. Five, one, yeah. And I remember going, I went up to Hillsborough. Yeah, it was a year that same. I thought I'm going to go. And I remember going thinking, crikey. And I, I, I think it was even a case of some of the players were playing in different positions. And I was getting a bit confused. And then the really big one, was and again, I'm not expecting you to remember all the game story, but we we played Fulham, Fulham away. in the cup, FA Cup, Damian and Francis, we played Damian right Francis at right back, or was or even might have been left back, and yeah. straight away I was like, "What the hell is going on?" Like yeah. it was like 
oh my God, this is a car crash. We were all, and don't get me wrong, I, I know football fans all think they know what's best. And by the way, we, we still think we're, we know what we're <laughs> talking about. But it was just that Fulham game in the cup. I remember being on the terrace with my dad and yeah. we turned up and, you know, it's FA Cup. I think it might be round three. Could have been round four, maybe. I can't remember exactly. They were League Two at the time, weren't they? They were, exactly. I think they John Tigonar was manager yeah. potentially. And I was really excited about the game. And I remember turning up thinking, we're going to get absolutely slaughtered here. And we were played off the park. And Fulham were... You know, it, it, it was the Al-Fayed era that it was just coming through. I'm just curious as to at what point, if you can remember, was did your red flag or your little alarm bell go, hold on a minute, this isn't quite where we could be in a spot of bother here? I think when, they, when we lost about a sixth game on the trot, I think that was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a good one mathematically, isn't it? That was the sort of, Christ, this is, you know, we're going free fall. And um, once you're in free fall, it's difficult, particularly when you know the character of the players and you know the character of the, of the manager, that, that there was going to be no, no, unless the players could grab it and claw it yeah. back, he wasn't going to be able to do it. Um, so it was probably, yeah, I, I, again, I had my own job to do. You know, I was around the place, but, but concentrating on what I was doing. So I never really sort of, I'd watch training occasionally, but so I never really sort of took a great interest until we lost, started losing those amount of games on the trot because it had never never really happened before. So, because we ain't got much time left here, I just want to go through a couple of big games before we go. And so, Ego Olsen gets sacked. They've asked you to come in now and, and do the job. And you were like, all right, I'm off. To, I'm off. meant to be going to Israel to do something. But yeah, I'll take it. What games did we, we had? Villa? What were the other games? Villa, Bradford Villa, away. Was that it? Was you, it, it was, I remember it being really late. Two games. Was it just because I, because one of the questions was Bradford away. Do you, so Eagle Olsen was still in charge at Bradford and you were there. Is it true that Dean Blackwell knocked out John Hartson? Um, Half time. I'm not sure, yeah, that, that good a punch, really. No, I don't think he Dean, did either. Dino. There was a there was a row. Um, there was a row at, and at Bradford, the changing rooms, you could like there were, you know, the, the width of a kitchen table. Yeah. And um, so there was it all kicked off, and there was a few sort of punches thrown across the the you know the dressing room, but um, you know, it, it it wasn't anything unusual really at that period yeah. of football, and and it often happened, and at least it showed that they had some heart and some bottle and some fight left. Sorry, Dan. But yeah, so I, but I can't, to be truthful, Lee, I can't really remember. I don't think he would have knocked him out. He might have hit him a glancing blow. But that was about it. Because I'd still blame Jeff Winter for that day. I I know Bradford battered us in the end, but we had a goal disallowed that should have been given. I think Yuli scores. I think, yeah, well, I think we should have had a penalty or their penalty was ridiculous as well. And I, I still Ben Thatcher got sent off, didn't Bev, he? Yeah, and I just, and yeah, I think it was ridiculous, the Jeff Winter game. But yeah, and then Southampton, we end up scoring last minute. Do you think we could do it then? You mean the Villa game? We, we scored to, against Villa, we didn't we, last best, minute? And then, yeah, two all. Or Bradford, wasn't it? With Bradford's result, and Bradford had Liverpool, but Liverpool, right. had, you know, they were already their flip flops on. They were on the beach, weren't they? I think they, they didn't have anything to play for, and um, Bradford ended up beating them comfortably on the night, on the day, and uh, we, as history knows, sort of got beat at Southampton, who had a new manager come in, and Glenn Hoddle. So all, all the, uh, everything that you thought could, not go against you, but, but, but sort of would lead to the opposition really having to try um, 
and Bradford really having having a, an easier game than, than we had, which uh, and they were at home as well. So mm. yeah, yeah, it's um, it does still hurt those those the mm. aftermath of that after that. When you look back, Terry, um, at manager Wimbledon, do you look back at it with pride? Do you look back at it with a tinge of, of sadness? Do you look back at it as a, do you know what, if, if X, Y and Z or I had a bit of this? How do you reflect? It's quite a, I'm a teacher and I, I've coached a lot international cricket. So I've got a little bit, not as nowhere near as much as you, but you always look back and go, could I, should have, that was great. Just interested how you look back now at that time. Yeah, I think reflection is is massively important, and uh, sometimes it hurts, <laughs> you know. And uh, and you always think you could do things better. I'm, I'm I am quite. I'm one. I'm proud that I was. I got the opportunity to manage Wimbledon, um, um, and I think I think I'm the last manager to be the highest league position that they held, which was ninth in the championship. You know, so um, there's something there to grab onto. But of course, you always look at it. And you think you, you know, you you could have done more. You could have changed things in certain games. Um, I'm pleased that at the end that I, I kept to my principles because you talked about the reason I got the sack. The reason, the main reason I got the sack was that they they told me not to play Peter Hawkins, Charles Coppel, told me not to play him in the last game of the season because he would get a rise in his contract if he if he reached that amount of games. This was about like, you know, the week before the game. And I said I said, look, if I decide that he's he should be playing for football reasons, I'm gonna play him. I'm not gonna play him not play him for financial reasons. I said, and this is not about me being clever. I said it's about me doing what's right for the club. This is a kid that's come through the whole youth system. He's he's everything that Wimbledon's about. I said, and that dressing room will know, because I had another year of my contract still to go. I said, that dressing room will know that I'm not going to stand up for them when I need to stand up for them. I'm standing up for this player. I said, if, if I think he's the best player for the position on the day, I'm going to play him. And I'm not, not going to play him because of, you've got to give him another £20 a week more. <laughs> I said, that's absolutely ridiculous. I said, so, and he said, well, the owners will be on to you about it. And I said, well, let them call me. And then the owners called me two days later and I told them the same. I said, no. I said, look, if I think he's going to play, he's going to play. I said, and you're not going to pick the team and you're not going to tell me what players to play for any any reason. So I'm He could have spoken to you before that, the Wickham FA Cup game, couldn't he? And then he wouldn't have missed that penalty. That would have been Andy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, Wickham, the Wickham game, yeah. Yeah, that was good, that one. That, that, was, uh, it that was quite a good cup so tie, actually. It was about the player. It was about the principal. Yeah, and it could have been any one of them. They might have said it about, and I would have gone, "No, these are our kids. They've come through the ranks, you know. And this is what the club's built on. It's built on giving players, young players, an opportunity. And if they play and they deserve a chance, well, great, we'll play them. If they don't perform, we won't play them. And <clears throat> so, yeah, I guess um, from uh, a pride point of view, I'm, I'm pleased that I stick to stuck to my principles. Um, of course, you always look back and go the what ifs and could have beens, but um, you, you yeah you can't beat yourself up over those things, and you just got to go. By and large, I'm I'm you know happy and proud of my time at Wimbledon and my contribution to the club over those fourteen years. Um, so yeah, no, I I I I, no, I look back at it as fond memories. I say, if you look back, some of the money that Wimbledon brought in for some of them players. 
kept us afloat pretty much and over them years and bought in the Ben Thatchers and bought in the Kenny Cunninghams and Duncan Jupps and things like that that kept us going. So, yeah. Uh, before we do wrap up, Terry, I was going to say, have you been down to Plough Lane yeah. yet? Have you been down and... Cause... No, no, I've never got an invite. So, um, oh, I, I live no. in Chesterfield. I live in the north. Um, That's not your fault, Terry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. We've somebody's, all got problems, mate. Somebody's got to. Um, and, uh, yeah, but no, so I... I I obviously went to um, when they played, um, you know, when, when it was where Chelsea are using now. Um, yeah. Oh, Kings Meadow. You know, I, I went there a couple of times. Um, but no, I, I've, I've not actually been to the new stadium now. Well, An well, email we're... is pending. Don't worry. Yeah, I was going to say, Danny Macklin, either anyone who, who's still at the... Well, Danny Macklin should be the man. If he's listening, get in contact. We'll give you Terry's number. If that's all right, Terry, give you a number and then yeah. we'll get you we'll get you down to Plough Lane because, as I said, 14 years of service, some of the players you brought through, some of the, the, the as I said, me and Danny, I was like a fanboy when uh, I've got to say thank you to Brett Neil for giving me your number to get you on. But yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you and I'd love to see you down at Plough Lane and getting the plaudits that you deserve from the fans that were there for the 14 years that you were there and the new fans that, yeah, I mean, I've oh, come along since. Yeah, yeah no, I, no. I, you know, I keep an eye on, and it's you know, a few clubs have on my list now that have, I look for and results, and some of them, you know, for me are more important than others. But but AFC would be up there along with the Arsenal and, and the results that I look for. Well, Terry, thanks, thanks for coming on. Genuinely, um, yeah, your impact on all on our lives in terms of, you know, I've supported Wimbledon since I was a little boy, and and the times I share dearly. We talk a lot about, you know. I, I, I go to watch football, frankly, because I love spending time with my dad. And my dad, remember, took me to Plough Lane when I was a kid and pushed everyone to the side and pushed me at the front. Um, and that was when you started. And the fact of the crazy gang growing up at school, being the underdog, never giving up, standing up for yourself. And it's OK to be different. Some of those stories and the messaging has allowed me to to continue supporting women and, and, and some of the not to be too too soppy here, but some of the the traits of being a Wimbledon fan have held me in such an amazing stead, and that is partly down to to your dedication, your expertise, and and yeah, we, we absolutely loved what you did for the club, and and hand on heart, I, I'm 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 just thankful for, that you were there, and thank you very mm. much for all all that you did for us. Mm. We um yeah. you gave us the ride of a life, and we are desperately desperately delighted and over the moon that you gave it to us. So thank you ever so much. Really appreciate that, Danny. Thank you. Yeah, I just echo what Danny said. Like some of the players I fell in love with and and, and, and yeah, they come for our youth and, and that's all due to what you did, Terry, and the way you coached them. So yeah, again, I can't thank you enough for the 14 years you gave to us and, and I really appreciate it coming on and keep telling us a tale. And I think a lot of women and fans will be listening and yeah, happy that you came on and spoke to us. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a pleasure. And, um, you know, again, it was a great time in my life. I loved it and uh, look back at it with fond memories. So thank you. Terry, Bowen, thank Terry you very thanks much. for coming on. Thank you very Cheers, much. Cheers, guys. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care now. Thank you. Bye. So when we come back, we'll discuss, uh, me and Danny will preview Doncaster away on Saturday. But yeah, we'll, that was just amazing. But yeah, when we come back, we'll discuss Doncaster away. The Wombles had a dream podcast by the fans for the fans.
Uh, we're back. We're going to be discussing Doncaster on Saturday, but I think me and Danny are still buzzing from speaking to Terry I'm, I'm not being funny. Literally, well done to Brett and, and well done to you for getting him because, as we said at the end of the interview, just some of the stories and some of the, the most wonderful memories I share with friends of mine who will be listening to this and friends who hopefully are, will be with me for the rest of my life and my dad. It, it's just quite odd having a bloke who basically gave you their memories, if that makes sense. And yeah. like... You know, you know, I, I, I use Wimbledon a lot in job interviews and stuff because of who, what they stand for and being different and, and multicultural and all this sort of stuff and all the things that we don't even think about. And, and like it just it, it was also exactly what I thought it was when I was younger. Joe Kinnear was the brash bloke chatting to the guys, motivating them. Terry Burton was behind putting the cones out and getting everything ready. Yeah, it was almost it felt exactly like that. If you look at Wimbledon, that's very Wimbledon-ish. There's a lot of Wimbledon fans of Brett. You know what I mean? Me and you probably wouldn't get along. Uh, if it weren't for Wimbledon, you know what I mean? Like, we, we if we met in a pub, because you're quite a smart guy, I'm very brash. Do you know what I mean? But we, it kind of works when you're at Wimbledon. Yeah. There's like, I went again, I, I, I go to Wimbledon with a guy I went to Milan with, very intelligent man, Al. Do you know what I mean? He got me this like thick as two planks. And then we're discussing football and it just works. You, you sit in there and you talk about Wimbledon. And yeah, it's just Terry, it's, it, as I said, it blows my mind that we've got these crazy again days, these mad people that burnt suits and stuff. But then when you speak to them, they're, softly spoken they're the intelligent they're really and nice the, and think- that is the thing with and that what you said earlier was perfect is that Wimbledon was seen as this brainless smash it yeah bundle people and Terry Burton is like this football academic with Don Howes, Don Howes who was one of the top 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 we're not Mickey Mouse stuff we're talking about best in world not best in Europe and that behind that hoofing it Terry Burton as detention to detail the strategy was stunning but used yeah to, used to wind easy. me up Used to wind me up when Gary Lineker said he'd rather watch Teletext and the press would give us a bad time just being a long ball merchant team, which was totally false. We wasn't. We played in a way that it suited us. We got the ball forward quickly and we played to our strengths where we'd rather have it in your final third than ours. And yeah, yeah. I just used to wind me up. And when I started watching Wimbledon, I just, yeah, fell in love with everything about it. And yeah, it was just great to speak to him. And, and more style. importantly, have to get him to the ground. Like, oh, yeah, like, as, like you were speaking always about old guys coming down. Having Terry Burton, I can imagine having Terry Burton well, joking. Again, I didn't realise. I didn't realise he was there fourteen years. I thought he was. I thought he was there for a long time, but not fourteen years from eighty-eight all the way through to pretty much when we got relegated. So let, this, like you know I, I mean? said, after this, we'll we'll, we'll we need to extend it. I'm look, sure there isn't a single Wimbledon fan who who was around before AFC would not welcome Terry Burton at the club. Oh, 100%. As I said, and, I think I, even, yeah. When I told the lads I was speaking to him, one of them's like, Mr. You know, when we say Joe Kinnear was Mr. Wimbledon, yeah. Terry, Terry Burton was, again, another Mr. Wimbledon, do you know what I mean? Who, who loved it. He said, he said it himself. He loved being at Wimbledon. He loved being, bringing in the, the Joe McInnes, the Patrick Agamans, who were not, you know, where I feel bad now, though. I feel Mark Robinson could have been that man for us. Of but course. Unfortunately, football had moved on too much. Well, no, now but, but because... I think the key thing, though, Lee, is he has been, but he's just not, he's in a different way. Yeah, and obviously, you know I mean? give it 10 years. Don't get me wrong, at the time when Terry Burton's probably leaves, um, I'm not sure women and fans about when I'll maybe want to change or maybe things are different. And Rob Robbo will get that praise later on in his career. Yeah, okay, it just, it, it just it, they're very similar, kind of. It was also know, interesting. With the philosophies and stuff. But and... even Terry Burton like, was remembering old players like Andrew Usu or Aggie Mang. He's worked with thousands of players, Lee. Like well, yes. thousands. And the people he will really Ian not Hazel were and stuff like, like that. literally, yeah. these are all people who Wimbledon fans of, you know, I not just, sell up worldwide, just good for us. It was shame, good. shame. He, 
we couldn't get him on for hours because he said he only had an hour, which is perfect. Brilliant. Thanks for, I'd love to, I could have spoke to him for the rest of the night, really about some of the players and some of the stories and stuff. And yeah. we probably only got 50% of what people wanted to listen to, but unfortunately, yeah, that is the case with podcast. But you know but, what, that, that, you know, there's always opportunities in the future to have him on and um, no, well done to everybody. I said, Danny Macklin, if, if you do listen this week, please contact me regarding Terry's number. I'll pass it over and please invite him down, please get him in the suite. Do you know what I mean? Or get him down for hospitality. He should not pay for a ticket. shouldn't pay for anything that man, because yeah. And we, they're talking about the hall of fame, ain't they? And stuff like that. Now, yeah. Terry Burton's name should be, should be in that, I think I don't 100%. think because because he, he was in the background doing the reserves, the youth and people things like that. Yeah, I don't think he probably got the credit that he deserved at the time. Even with some of, as I said, some of the players that we bought through, we end up selling for millions. We end up yeah. buying Kimballs. Do you know what I mean? The Thatchers, the Cunninghams, Warren Bartons. Yeah, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. And we bought them uh, for cheap, and then we made them better players and sold them on for millions. So, yeah. Anyway, let's. We've gone, we've gone from the past. Let's talk about now. So, obviously, Saturday was disappointing. We won't go into that too much, but um, there was quite an interesting um, point in the ground where, you know, flag, I don't know if you've read about this yet, but all of the flags were taken down. Like were the they? general got, yeah, the general got the ump and basically just took them all down. Um, I don't know whether it was for whatever reason, but the fans kind of gathered. It, it, was, it was like a protest about I've had enough, I've had enough, which I didn't, I didn't really read it as that. But it, was, it seemed like it, it seemed like quite a kind of like not like a monumental but quite a big moment because it was kind of felt like the moment that like fans were starting to turn a little bit on the team in terms of the way they were playing and I don't think they for an hour they were particularly poor but the last half an hour was um was pretty desperate and obviously we just kind of almost surrendered it in the end which was a shame um but moving on to Doncaster um yeah what I mean we've got to find a way to stop the rot we've got to find a way to to score some goals um Ali Alhamadi has been excellent, Mad, and, was excellent. and he Mad, was ec- and he was excellent on Saturday. Um, and we kind of we need to find a way now of stopping the rot one end and scoring some goals in the other. Because as I said to you before, it doesn't take long before people start questioning. And already we're now talking about we're almost in a dead rubber situation. Really, who's going to be around? Who's going to be at the at the helm? And I feel like we really, really, really need to need to stop the rot. And I feel like Saturday on paper is probably one of those games where it, it really could. We're playing Doncaster. I don't think there's a lot They're in, in horrendous form as well. I mean, Doncaster and us are pretty much Doncaster are hanging on to playoff thoughts by a Fred. Um, mm. We're, we're well out of it. So it's kind of a, a game of two dead rubbers. I feel like, Whatever we do, we know we're not going to we're not going to make up fourteen points and get into the playoffs. We're completely toast for that. And relegation-wise, we're bizarrely we're sixteen points off bottom two, so we're totally in the middle. And I think I can't imagine for any stretch of the imagination we'll be put in either way. But I do think it is quite a big game um, for the manager, and I do think it's a really really big game for the players because all of a sudden losing at um, losing two away games on the spin that will then also create the Crawley game at home being an absolute like must win. So I think it's a big, I mean, I think it's a big game for a few individuals. Um, but what are your thoughts on it at the moment? I, I think it's a massive game for the manager. I really yeah. do. I really think it's, it's big because the shouts now of turning again. We've, we've won what once John in the whole Jones. calendar year. Yeah. And once. some of the, some of his selections are baffling. Some of the formations are baffling. 
Ali is scoring goals, which is strange to me considering now we're putting him up front. He's scoring. Do you know what I mean? We said it before. If you put him up front, he'll score goals. He is doing it. People are going, oh, he's rubbish. You know what I mean? He's playing on the wing. He's never played on the wing at Wickham. He's never played on the wing before that. Play him up front, scores goals. Josh Davison looks beaten up, looks yeah, done in, looks dead. Uh, Pell, I think he's out. As I said, I think he's out long term, uh, but we haven't been told how long that's going to be. I just think a lot of our players look done in. Woodyard still looks done in. Yeah, I, I don't think we're. As I say, I can't really talk about the weekend's game. I, I haven't watched anything. I've only seen uh, some of the goals, and I think Nick Zanev needs to wake up, or he could be gone in the summer because apparently it was shocking on Saturday. And as I said, the goals I've seen. What's with the one where he comes running out and then misses the header? Yeah, <laughs> that's like that's amateur stuff. But uh, I think it's a massive game for Johnny Jackson. Uh, because the summer's huge for him and people keep saying you can't sack a manager, you, you, you've got to give him another window and stuff. But do you know what I mean? He's had, you could really say it's been two seasons in one. Do you know what I mean? You lost Tala, you lost Asal, you then had January to kind of rebuild it a bit and we've been on dire form since. Doncaster are not on great form. They lost to Harrogate, they drew with someone, then they lost Bradford and Sutton. So they haven't won, but they're at home. Do you feel like we've been playing poorly in the last... Because I don't, I don't, I feel like our results aren't great, but I don't feel we're playing horrendous. I said Saturday, the first half, we were pinging it about. We we looked brilliant in the first half, Lee. Honestly, we were buzzing, moving around, lots of interpasses. We scored a goal. We looked, I thought we looked really, really good at the, at the start. We just haven't been able to transition, losing that extra man in midfield. I just, just think, not been able to do it. I think it's tiredness. I think a lot of our players yeah. look tired. They look beaten yeah, up. Uh, injuries are taking their toll now on us, which I said we said before why we got so many injuries. I don't know if we have got a physio yet or not. Uh, I think that isn't helping. Uh, Pierre, I don't know why he's been brought in because Will Nightingale has been injured for half the season, gets brought back in. We start conceding goals again at the back because we're having to mix it up all the time. Do you know what I mean? We've got lucky enough a goal scorer who can score, but the other one's now gone to sleep and he's he, again, he needs a rest. But who'd you bring back? Yeah. The Zach Robinson stuff's all baffling to me as well, where you've got a goal, uh, a, a goal scorer there and he's scoring goals. Do you know what I mean? That you could be bringing on or putting up front, starting games with Ali. And he isn't. Yeah, I just I think it's a massive game for Johnny Jackson. For me, it just feels like with his statements after games and stuff, he seems very arrogant that he's untouchable. Yeah. Uh, the Oxford stuff was quite. Everyone was getting excited about him going to Oxford. So that I think that shows where the fans are with him at the moment. And as you as we said before, a lot of people are still not really in love with him, kind of thing, and still not got that that relationship with him. Uh, I don't know what the what you've mentioned regarding the flag stuff. I don't know. That's a protest taking our flags down. Do you know what I mean? Not going to games, I think, is a bigger protest, which a lot yeah. of people are doing now as well. Uh, I know we. I don't think we're going to be taking many up to Doncaster. Uh, I think we're going to really struggle struggle to get fans up to Barrow in a couple of weeks. If you look at the prices, I think it was 130 quid to get to Barrow. 130 yeah, yeah. Oh, Matt, then they only went on sale today. Harrogate's not cheap either. So I think people will be looking at it and think, I'm not going to bother. I said, I, I know most people may be aware that I went away the weekend to Italy. If you're not, you know what I mean? Where have you been? Uh, we heard it somewhere. But I spent 110, 150 quid on flights, hotel, and two match tickets. Do you know what I mean? For two games. I know I spent a bit And we're talking about Serie A here, aren't we? Yeah, we're talking about San Siro Milan. Do you know what I mean? And this is what I've said before. We, the price in this country is just joke. Trains, match tickets. It has to be looked at and, and hopefully will be. But yeah, what's your, what's your score predictions? 
I think I think we'll get something out of the game. I think we need to get something out of the game, and I think that two poor teams being together, um, I, I, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say a draw. I think we'll get a one-one. I think I think um, Al Hamadi continues a goal scoring, but I think the starting lineup and the way that we play is going to be fascinating in terms of how. Um, how we try to recover. I think it's also going to. I think it is important to note, though, from a fan point of view, that this is very new ground for us. We've always been every game we need to fight, fight, fight for something. We're mm. now at a point where, frankly, it doesn't really matter because the kind yeah. of the season's kind of dead. Um, so, but I think it's just trying to find reasons to keep it alive. And I think some players, in particular, it's a really important ten games, as you said, for the manager. And I think that momentum going into the summer. Could be the difference between players staying, players going, managers coming, managers going. So I'm going to say 1-1. I think Al, Ham- Al Hamadi scores again. I think he's looked exceptional. But I, I still don't quite think we've got enough at the back yet to keep it going. And it's it, yeah, it's it's been a frustrating season. I'm not sure who's going to play where, the, what's the right formation, what's the right personnel. So I'll say 1-1. Um, and then um, I think we'll go into Newport and yeah. We'll see where we are. So, a one-one <laughs> would be would be a good way to sort of stop the stop the rot. Um, but like you said, it, it would be lovely to t- sort of turn the tide a little bit. Not necessarily results, but like having well results would be handy. But pl- the way that we play, I think, will be handy. One-one. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think it's either going to be one-one or unfortunately we're going to lose two-one. I just can't see us not scoring, uh, conceding goals at the moment, which is mad considering a few weeks ago we we were such a tight knit ship. But yeah, I just I just don't have any. I'm kind of done with the season, Dan. Which is again, I know everyone wanted a mid table finish and stuff, but we're sinking like a stone, and we could end up finishing fifteenth or eighteenth and stuff. Which at the end of the season, wherever we finish, I think questions going to be asked if if we finish fifteenth or below, or even. 13th and below but yeah I think uh I'm not I just can't get out for it I don't I'm not I don't really care at the moment do you know what I mean I prefer talking to people like Terry Burton about the old days and do you know what I mean and and that but yeah I think one or two one but yeah that's it really uh so right we ready is that it done the week because what I want to say quickly is a a big thank you to Jack Maltney who uh <laughs> held the Sunday debrief while I was away uh apparently done a great job so thanks to Jack uh, hopefully he'll be able to hold a few more if uh, if I'm away again. And uh, yeah, thanks to you, Danny, for coming on again. And thanks to speaking to Terry Byrne. Well done, mate. Top work. Thanks, everybody. And thanks for listening. Yep. And thanks to Season Master, our sponsors, uh, Gary Fletcher and the lads, massive women fans, secondary glazing, bifold doors. Uh, hit them up. They're all our uh, socials and our graphics. And uh, yeah, come on, you dons. Go, you and boos. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Wombles Had a Dream podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Wombles Dream and on Facebook at the Wombles Had a Dream. Get involved. By the fans, for the fans. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.